Hello and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 77. First of all, I'd like to say, if I sound sick, I'm not. I feel like I sound sick, but I'm really not. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, with that out of the way, I'm very pleased that Laura's on today. How are you doing, Laura? I am alive. Somehow, I guess. Okay, that was a very optimistic introduction there. (laughs) Um, No, it's good to have you on again. We haven't for the last couple episodes, and... I have another series going in tandem with this one, so I always have something to fall back on, but it's it's always better to have two people on the podcast. So I'm excited about that, and that means we will be jumping into the Gilfaginning again. But before we do that, a little bit of station news. Um, if you want to check out my website, feel free to do so. You can find that at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. And you can find the podcast there where you can subscribe to the RSS. And you can also find my email address, which is Podcast at gmail.com, where you can send questions, concerns, or show ideas. And uh, I read all the emails I get. Not in a timely manner, but I do read all the emails I get. Uh, other exciting news, but it's not new anymore. Laura wrote a book. Actually, he wrote a few. Do you want to tell us about those? Sure. I have... The latest book that's out, which is Walk On, that is on Amazon.com. Just look up Stephen Oaks and Walk On, and you'll find it. It'll be a picture of a dude holding a gun against his head. Okay, alongside his head. (laughs) But the head's an egg, so yeah, weird. Uh, It it makes sense in the story if you read it. That one's there, but I did want to mention the fact that the next book should be coming out... uh, Hopefully this year, I am basically done editing i'm waiting for the co-author to go ahead and go through it as well and once that's done it should be ready nice that is very exciting so watch amazon for that and i believe can't you look up if they look up one of your other books they can just click on you to see like everything that you've written yes yeah it's a bit of a mess to try to get them all linked together but i've done it it's there you can find it nice and when that does come out we will definitely mention it here as well Speaking of books, I also wrote one, and you can find that on Amazon.com as well. Just search for Lightbringer, Byron Rogers. Um, Yes, uh, that's there. So, I think that's all of that. Uh, I don't think we have anything else to do, so unless you have something else to mention, let us jump into... Now, I believe we were on stanza 10. We are ready for 10, yes. Ready for 10. Do you want to start? All right. Here goes my mispronunciations. Uh, Norfi, or Narfi, is the name of a giant that dwelt in Jotunheim. He had a daughter named, or called Night. She was swarthy and dark, as befitted her race. She was given the man named Nagkalfari. Their son was Older, afterwards, she was wedded to him that was called Anar. Yord was their daughter. Last of all, Dayspring had her, and he was of the race of the Aesir. Their son was Day. He was radiant and fair after his father. Then all father took Night and Day, her son, and gave to them two horses and two chariots and sent them up into the heavens to ride round about the earth every two half days. Night rides before with the horse named Frosty Mane, and on each morning 
he bedews the earth with the foam of his bit. The horse that Day has is called Sheen Mane, and he illuminates all the air and the earth from his mane. Okay, um, quick note, Yord means earth. That's just a note here, um, in case anyone forgot. Uh, so again, this is talking about the history of the world and some of the myths of different aspects of the world. This one, obviously, talking about night and day being two chariots that are pulled across the sky. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if we really have anything else to say about this one. It's uh, it's just a neat myth about day coming from two chariots being pulled across the sky. I'm going to go on to 11. Um... Then said Gangleri, how does he govern the course of the sun or of the moon? Har answered, a certain man was named Mundulfari, who had two children. They were so fair and comely that he called his son Moon and his daughter Sun, and wedded her to the man called Glenair. But the gods were incensed at the insolence, and took the brother and sister and set them up in the heavens. They caused sun to drive those horses that drew the chariot of the sun, which the gods had fashioned for the world's illumination, from that glowing stuff which flew out of Musfelheim. The horses are called thus, early wake and all strong, and under the shoulders of the horses the gods set two wing bags to cool them. But in some records... That is called iron coolness. Moon steers the course of the moon and determines its waxing and waning. He took from the earth two children, called Bill and Hyuki, and they that went from the well called Birger, bearing on their shoulders, he call, he cast called Sager and the Pole Simmel. Their father is named Vidfinner. These children follow moon, as may be seen from the earth. There are two different sons. What? <laughs> um. So the so day does not come from the sun in the mythology. It just the sun is in the day and the moon is in the night. Wait. Uh. No, I think the da 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 sun and what is it? The mythological beings the giants are that were mentioned in stanza 10 are the ones who are in the chariot pulled by the horses but then these two children are the ones that drive the horses uh but the horse name on night is frosty mane and the the horse of the day is called sheen mane and then we have two different horses uh, they're big chariots. They take lots of horses. Oh, okay, fine. Um, to me, yeah. it reads as if there is a day and night, uh huh, and they are independent of sun and moon. It's just that the sun is in the day and the moon is in the night. Even though you and I both know the moon can be in the day too. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. Yeah, day and night. Wait. Yeah, there's a day and there's a night, and the and then, sun is in the day, and the mm -hmm. moon is in the night. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. So, two sets to govern such things. Yeah. Yeah, but in reality, 
you have a day and a night cycle, and you've got the sun and the moon, the sun and the day, and the moon and the night, generally speaking. Of course, the moon can be in the day as well. They're not synonymous, sun and day. I mean, they are actually synonymous, sun and day, but they're also separate entities, I think. Okay. Just trying to clarify all that stuff there, sir. I think there's an interesting um, idea here where it says a certain man named Mundalfari who had two children. They were so fair and comely that he called his son Moon and his daughter Sun um, and wedded her to the blah, blah, blah. And then it says, but the gods were incensed at that insolence and took the brother and sister and set them up at the heavens to drive the horses. How so, dare you have attractive children and have them wed people? <laughs> well, I, th- I think the idea is that the guy was saying or implying like, oh, my children are as beautiful as the sun and the moon. And just that comparison was enough to... Uh force them into driving the chariot of the sun and the moon, which does seem a little harsh, actually. But I guess there's a line between being proud of your children, for example, which is obviously immoral, and being what's... What is it when proud goes too far? Like, overly boastful of them. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that's called. <laughs> I uh, well, see, the problem is pride is normally considered bad in and of itself. But I don't think that our ancestors had the idea that pride was bad. But there is something where you can be overly boastful because, like with all things, it's a scale. You don't want to be like. So, what are you saying that we can't name someone Thor or Thora named after the gods? Well, I think it has a lot to do with intent. Like, if you name your son Thor, are you naming your son Thor and you're like, oh, I named my son Thor because he's just, he's, he's, he's just as good as Thor and he could beat Thor in an arm wrestling because he's that strong. Or did you name your son Thor because you want to honor Thor and remember him and you're showing a and you're naming your kid Thor as a sign of respect. And here it seems he was naming his kid Sun and Moon not to honor the Sun and the Moon, but to say they are just as good or just the same as the Sun or the Moon. So I think, and I mean, from my own moral perspective, intention is very important. So I think uh, it depends a lot on the intent. And I guess we don't know exactly where this story came from either because i don't remember like the two people mentioned in many other places in the lore so i don't know like what its origin i mean the only thing i can think of is when the wolves are set against the sun and moon to devour them that's the only other thing i think that mentions it right but it doesn't necessarily mention that they were of human origin in Mm -hmm. that place uh, so I don't know why they're of human origin. I don't know if that's significant. Because you could make the argument that if they're of godly origin, and in this case, it includes the giants, so of mythological origin, then the day and the night and the sun and the moon are just a natural cycle. But when you in, 
when you put something of human origin in there, then are you sort of making the implication that day and night is not just of mythological origin, but also of human origin? And then you get into the idea that time is a human construct and Mm -hmm. day and night is a human construct. Is that wrapped up in this stanza or am I reading into it too far? I don't know the answer to that question. Both. It could be. (laughs) So this reminds me of a conversation I've had many times, usually about Plato, um, but I'll often argue with people and I'll say like, oh yes, and, and this story or tale what he's really getting at is this and the person will be like well you didn't know him and i was like okay that's kind of a dumb argument because we can make judgments about people even if we didn't know them but i mean there's some truth in that it's like well you didn't know him maybe you're just reading into it but my other counter is if a story can inspire me to think of the world in a new different arguably better way then I think the story still achieved a laudable goal if it was on purpose or not. I mean, is this story saying that time is a human construct at its core? I don't know. Maybe not. Likely not. But is that a thought worth exploring? I think that absolutely it is. True. Because like I can go into either of us since we have written books like Mm -hmm. i assume there was some sort of intention with yours there's always some sort of intention with mine too though it does boil down to i like writing right right (laughs) but like someone can read it and have a completely different viewpoint on what i've written which is perfectly fine i mean i may not agree with you but you're allowed to have any thought you want kind of thing. right yeah exactly and of the people that read my book when I asked him about it after. I was like, oh, well, what do you think I was getting at or what do you think I meant? No one has actually guessed what I was actually getting at. So maybe that's because I'm a bad writer in that sense. But they still got something out of it. And I was like, well, the thing you got out of it is also a cool thing. So regardless of what the intention was, if somebody can get something beneficial out of these stories, then I think I think that's a good thing. So I I like reading into them further than is necessary. Even if that's not the original intention, I think you can still get something useful out of it. And I think the idea that time is a human construct is an interesting idea. Obviously, it has earthly physical uh, roots because there is a time of light followed by a time of dark. But ultimately, that's meaningless unless we put some sort of connotation on top of it, and it comes to mean something to us. So anyway, um, unless you had more, do you want to go on to 11? Uh, I think we're at 12. That's what I said, 12. Okay. <laughs> You'll just have to edit that out. All right, then. Uh, I'm too lazy. Then said Ganglary, the sun fared swiftly and almost as if she were afraid. She could not hasten her course any the more if she feared her destruction. Then Har made answer, It is no marvel that she hastens furiously. Close cometh he that seeks her, and she has no escape save to run away. Then Ganglary, or then said Ganglary, Who is he that causes her the, this disquiet? Har replied, It is two wolves, and he that runs after her is called Skor. She fears him, and he has... And he shall take her. 
but he that leaps before her is called Heti Pradvitsnison. Sorry, I got a little Russian there. He is eager to seize the moon, and so it must be. Then say Glinglary, what is the race of the wolves? Har answered, a witch dwells to the east of Midgard in the forest called Ironwood. In that wood dwells the troll woman, who are known as Ironwood Woman. The old witch bears many giants for sons, and all in the shape of wolves. And from this source are these wolves sprung. The saying runs thus, from this race shall come one that shall mightiest of all, he that is named Moonhound. He shall be filled with the flesh of all those men that died, and he shall swallow the moon, and sprinkle with blood the heavens and all the lair. Thereof shall the sun lose her shining, and the winds in that day shall be unquiet and roar on every side. So saith in Vosurpa. Vosurpa. I'm going to have to make this text bigger. <laughs> it's so small. Uh Oh, now it's too big. Eastward dwells the old one in Ironwood, and there gives birth to Fenrir's brethren. There shall spring of them all a certain one, the moon's taker, in troll's likeness. He is filled with flesh of fey men, Reddens the gods' seats with ruddy blood gouts. Thwart becomes sunshine in summers after. The weather all shifting. Wilt ye yet or what? So this harkens back to what you were saying about in mm-hmm. Ragnarok, the wolf catching the sun and the moon both. Um, and yeah, in the Valsapa, it does mention that part of the story. It doesn't mention that they were people, Anyway, I don't think it mentions that there are people, but it does mention that. Um, And yeah, that just goes with the whole destruction of the Earth. What is more a destructive force than to actually destroy the distinction between between, um, night and day, which is obviously very much... Well, interesting to me is the wolf is actually made of men. So men will cause... Maybe, if I'm reading this correctly, men will cause the moon's destruction in the sky? Um, what part are you reading? Uh, do do They said the moon hound, he shall be filled with the flesh of all those men that die, and he shall swallow the moon. Yeah, I thought that meant that he, he ate, ate them. them. And maybe. 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 But when you're talking about Ragnarok, I think there's some sort of role that people play because they talk about when you go into like the Wolf Age and the Sword Age, the brother shall or the brother um, brother will fight brother. So you have this idea that the bonds of society start breaking down at some point in time, which is the precursor to Ragnarok actually starting. so I think that very much people do play some role in it. And if you look at the location of Midgard, which is mythologically where we are, as in physical living people, it's very much in the middle of the Tree of Life. And every or it's very much in the middle of Yggdrasil, the tree. And everything sort of balances on in on this world. And then also people can 
help the giants or the gods and can have tendencies to do good things and right things. And I I think this comes up in a lot of mythologies and stories both. But people are very much, humans are very much uh, like a balancing force or in, in the sense that the world is balanced and we are right now balanced enough to keep everything standing, so to speak. But if we go too far one way or the other, we could tip the scales, so to speak. Right. Um, and you know I mean, oh, go ahead. I was just going to make a joke. I'm sorry. No, you can make a joke. <laughs> and always remember to burn your toenails. Uh, yes, that too. Because um, the boat, come on. You know. What's that called? Knackle Fari? I, I don't know. Was... The ship made of toenails, yeah. That would be creepy. Um, that's that's a fun myth, because you can really see why maybe it would come around. Because, you know, you don't want to be getting a hangnail when you're in the middle of oh, battle. Geez. I figure Saying. it's more likely that the idea that people's fingernails and toenails grow after they die, which is not the case, it's just skin receding, but it um, looks like toenails and stuff are growing. Unless you're a vampire. Unless you're a vampire. Just saying. Uh-huh. And also your organs don't rot. Actually, it's only some of your organs that don't rot when you're a vampire. I've uh-huh. been reading about vampires. Who, by <laughs> who? Like Wikipedia oh. or just a book? Okay, so I shouldn't advertise other podcasts. But there's this podcast called Lore, and I really like it. And he went over a whole like vampire thing. So he's looking at the myths. And, and the lore of early vampires. And the lore was that certain organs would not rot and others would rot. So when they dug someone up, they're like, oh, look, the spleen didn't rot and everything else is gross and rotted. We better burn this guy that we just dug out of the ground because he was a vampire. Because mm. um, the way the human body rots is weird, and it can appear as if certain organs are rotting faster. They're not actually vampires. There is actually. a line. There is a line from a little YouTube. I, I'm going to call it show. There's a, a, a director who's talking about the death of Superman, mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorite things ever. And if I, I don't remember the director's name, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the thing. He has a memory of his father saying, how do you kill a vampire? And so he starts listing garlic, steak through the heart and stuff. And his dad's like, no, 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 no. You kill it any way you want. It's not real. You make it up. It's fine. Because these things aren't real. You can kill a vampire anyway. There are any descriptions you want them to be. They are not real. Byron. Says you. <laughs> how, do you dis- how do you explain consumption then? Uh, disease? Like one of these people who call it tuberculosis. Uh-huh. It's obviously vampires. Um, these the myths of the vampires are really strong, you know, it at at a certain point in time. People completely believed that vampires were real. And they really dug up a lot of graves, which seems Yeah, and they burned a lot of people who and barbaric. were witches, you know? Oh jeez, there's a lot of those too. Um yeah, they did. They burned a lot of people who are witches. Or, you know, threw them in the water with chains tied yeah. to large blocks around them. If, if they sank... If they float, they're witches. If they yeah. sink, they're innocent. And yeah, they'll but, go to heaven. But they die with a clear name. Um, I guess that's... Like, I really like lore. 
if it's the lore that we're reading today or if it's folklore from, you know, around the country, even early America. I think it can be a really powerful, beneficial thing, but it really has the ability to become something well, extremely like, negative. Paul Bunyan is cool. Uh, and I, is it Paul Henry, Thomas Henry? I can't remember his name, who fought against the steam-powered uh, shoveler thing that went through a Oh, mountain. yeah. I can't now, remember. I, that's really awesome, but <laughs> the machine wins in the end because it didn't die. Well, yeah, that's true. But there's a lot of cool folklore like that. There's all sorts of, like, um, shamans isn't the right word, but they used to have all these healers back mm-hmm. in the day, and they'd, you know, mix herbs and give them to you, and it it worked on placebo effect, but still... it There may be mild beneficial it, things to it. You never know. Well, actually, that's true. A lot of herbs that people run across actually have true beneficial properties because just through trial and error they're like oh this one really does work and plants do have medicinal value so Mm -hmm. oftentimes it would really work but they do other charms and stuff like that and for whatever reason it seemed to help people and make people feel better and that's great that's a huge benefit i'm fine with people still doing that i think it's cool when they do but then you had people like digging up bodies and murdering people because they thought they were vampires and then you had like witch trials and it's like where did we go well i don't so we don't have anything necessarily like that anymore you know no we don't well i, I mean our, think our, that's sad well the closest we got is like big franchises like marvel or something but we yeah. don't actually think they're real yeah we don't re- well growing number of people <laughs> who do think that certain things are real that aren't um the closest we have is probably aliens because at mm. least some people think aliens are real. Uh, I think a lot of people think aliens are real. I think if there's a, a possibility of it, I don't right know. Word. I don't know if we've had contact with them. Oh, yeah, I don't I'm sure. think we have. I'm sure there's aliens out here. I'm also sure they're not abducting people from the trailer park. I don't think aliens have been here. Maybe I'm wrong. That'd be great if I was wrong, but I don't. Well, it depends on if they're taking over the government slowly. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, well, I mean, that would be a problem. Because, you know, if you're an advanced species that's mastered faster than light travel and you've come here to visit us, you totally want to take over our crap government so you can have it. You never like, that know. That doesn't make sense. You have light travel. If you're really bent on taking us over, I'm sure you have the weaponry to do it. Well, maybe there's a notorious reason for them to take over slowly and not wipe us out like in my book series. Oh, okay. <laughs> the well, outsiders. Maybe, okay. okay. <laughs> well, aliens are great for fiction, but I just... And, you know, for a good story, you can suspend your disbelief. You know, something like Lord of the Rings is not believable in a historical account. But it's a unless, really good story that I um, really liked. Unless you read The Similarian. Then it's real. Okay, well, I don't read that one. I always say I'm going to. I never do. Have you tried? No. I have. It is more boring than the Bible, and I think the Bible's kind of boring. No, I've never tried. I just, I have too many other things to do and too many other books to read that I just can't dedicate the time to it. One day I'd like to, but uh, anyway, yeah, 
aliens. And there's there's some interesting parallels with aliens and like some of the schematic stuff that people used to do. Well, if you've ever watched uh, Stargate, you know the Aesir are just aliens, right? Yes, I know that. <laughs> Which is not really a very convincing idea of where our gods came from, but you know, I guess it's I guess it I guess it's a show. I, I like Stargate. I thought it was pretty good up until a point. No, I like Stargate. I thought that little like subplot was a little silly. Well, they it's, were already Egyptian gods, so they were going to yeah. go with other mythologies too. Well, that's another one that actually I always think is kind of dumb when they're like, "Oh, the pyramids! How they do that? Aliens?" It's like I don't know. Maybe the ancient Egyptian people were actually smart. Maybe it's possible that people who lived in the ancient world were not brain dead morons. What? Come on, we've we've evolved since then. Oh, oh we yeah, really haven't. Okay, <laughs> that's the thing. There's this idea that history is this like inclined slope going up where we're just getting progressively better and it's like that's not it look at the dark ages look I mean, at like we're, where we're the greeks were with calcul- calculus we're the we're physically the same as we've been for a very long time there's yeah. been very very little change and it's not likely to be changing anytime soon unless we you know manipulated ourselves which is granted getting closer to being a possibility but yeah but even technology i i think that we're more technologically advanced than we ever have been before because we kind of had a boom in technology but if you look at the 1950s versus well actually go back a little farther you look at the 1650s versus the uh 550s you know, there's there's some very impressive things they had in ancient history. They had th- their calculus was. I just watched a show about calculus. Anyway, the Greeks had figured out calculus up to where we were in like the 30s. So that's pretty impressive. We lost a lot of ground, and it took us quite a few centuries to gain that ground back. Um, yeah, it's an ebb and flow. We go yeah. back and forth and eventually find a balance, and then it ebbs and flows again. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe maybe we're moving up slowly, but I, I think it's it's just an ebb and flow. You know, good things will happen, we'll have the enlightenment, but then bad things will happen like the Dark Ages. So we gain things and then we lose things. I mean, we've never had a society so advanced that we went to the moon. So I don't want to say there's zero progress, but... Uh, before this one. Yeah. We, we have gone yes. to the moon. No, yeah, uh, no, no, we haven't. <laughs> oh, okay. That was stitched. <laughs> oh. For and clarity... The earth, the earth is flat. That. Yes. No, it's a disc shape. Okay. Um, I don't believe either of those. Until this society, we have never made it to the moon. And... That's impressive. So I think we are moving forward slowly, but it's not a straight line. It's not a straight line up. There Next have been, up, Mars. I'm so excited about going to Mars. I mean, not me personally. I won't be going, but you know, I'll my force kids you to go. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> I, I would totally go. Would you really? You're like yeah. 80 years old, and yeah. you're ready to go. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Then I have even less to lose. You're right. If it turns out, it sucks. 
I have. I'd be an idiot not to. I know you really would be. You know, you're like, oh, Mars is terrible. It really is just dusty and hot. Eh, I'm 80. I got like two years up here. Not a big deal. That'd be fine. I mean, the unfortunate thing is you lose bone density because of gravity or not having as much gravity and, and all sorts of other not but great effects. If you're 80, you're not going back. You're not That's going true. back to Earth. I mean, you know it's a one-way trip at that point in time. But the thing is, if I was 80, I if I lived that far, if I was super old, I would possibly not go because I'd want to spend time with my family. So if all of my family was going to Mars, it would be a no-brainer. I, was like, I yeah, say absolutely. we send all the geriatrics to Mars first. <laughs> Yeah, they have less to lose. But yeah, wouldn't that be kind of sad if, like, instead of spending time with, like, your kids or grandkids, you're at Mars? It's, it's like, bittersweet, because you're like, I'm eh. at Mars to, like, you thing just I've always messages. wanted to be. It'll yeah, be I mean, you could. You could. But, like... Come on, your great-grandkid's not going to remember you anyway. True. True. Never mine, but, you know, that's me. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it might be more important to spend time with your remaining family. It might be more important to do that than to go to Mars. I mean, one is, you know, familial advancement, and the other is, you know, society advancement. Humankind advancement. I don't know. I think if I'm 80 and going to Mars, I'm not doing anything for humankind. <laughs> it's the 20-year-old, 20, 20 and 30-year-old pioneers who are really making a difference for humanity. And well, That's I, just I, backwards I'm, thinking. We all should be I'm trying to help 20. humanity. I feel like at 80, I'm just going to get in the way. We'll give you a super exosuit and uh, okay. some brain pills. You'll be fine. Oh, okay. okay. I'll be fine. Anyway, it would be fun to go to Mars. But, yeah, we are moving forward technologically in a lot of ways. But my only point is it's not a straight slope. Um, That was a huge tangent. What are you talking about? This is why we only get, like, a couple of these done every time. I know. Because it just goes on to these hour-long tangents. It wasn't actually that long. Um I can't even remember why I started talking about that, honestly. Uh, uh, we don't need to go over it. It's recorded. Don't okay, remember. Good point. Um, do we have anything else to say on that one? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I will move to 13. Then, then, said, then said Ganglary, what is the way to heavens from earth? Then Har answered and laughed aloud. Now, that is not wisely asked. That has it not been told to thee that the gods made a bridge from earth to heavens called Bifrost? You must have seen it. It may be that ye call it a rainbow. It is of, it is of three colors and very strong and made with cunning and with more magical and with more magic art than other works of craftsmanship. But strong as it is, yet, yet must it be broken when the sons of Musful shall go forth herring. And ride it, and swim their horses over great rivers, thus they shall proceed. Then said Ganglary, To my thinking, the gods did not build the bridge honestly, seeing that it could be broken, and and they able to make it as they would. Then Har replied, The gods are not deserving of reproof because of this work of skill. 
A good bridge is Bifrost, but nothing in this world is of such a nature that it may be relied on when the sons of Mus- when the sons of Musful go a herring. So it's only three colors? You know, I noticed that too, and I thought that was interesting, because certainly they just said it was oh, a rainbow. I know why. Oh my goodness. You know okay. why too. I think we may have talked about this before, but perhaps not. There is a thing in culture where, mm-hmm. like, say you are seafaring people, and basically all you see is blue. So green is yellow-blue to them. Okay. So it's it's not a distinct color upon itself. This mm. It's a matter of language. So if oh. all you see is green, you know, this is green, and that is like green, this blue would be like green, and this yellow would be like green, but, you know half of such it, it it's not a matter of we see things differently it's a matter of uh usage of language so there might be a lot of ways to say blue okay uh, okay right so it yes could, it would it be, be three that. colors because it would be red yellow and blue and all the shades in between right yeah uh it could it could it could be that that's interesting well that could that's just an explanation i made up but i've seen and read things about this type of culture who don't use a lot of uh explanations for multiple colors because they only deal with so many right well and yeah it depends you know how detailed do you want to do do you want to be do you really need to mention periwinkle as like a common everyday use of collar, collar or can you just say that eh, it's purplish and, you know right maybe, do we maybe say you can violet? get away with that like like when you look at a rainbow you you may have seen you you see all the colors but the ones you name are the distinct ones that you probably learned in art class or or yeah you know, exactly crayons yeah. or stuff like that you're not going to mention every single change of spectrum because a blue it's blue you know maybe there's a little indigo in there i don't know Right, right, when they fade together. But you're not going to mention that. So that's interesting. And and yeah, it's just three primary colors. You really just have three. And then the ones that mix together. Um, It could be that. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I, I didn't know. Three is a very important number, too. It comes As up well. yes. all the time. So what would be interesting is to look at the language and see how many different... Um, words there are for different colors in Old Norse to see if that's what they're getting at. It's a language barrier, if you will, or if they're getting at like, well, we want to mention three because three is a But yeah, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. That's interesting. And also the fact that this is a translation of a translation, well, translation of a oh, written out story that was translated from the original language kind of stuff. And numbers and what they perceive as something may change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is something else that I wanted to mention about this one. Uh, the bridge breaking? Yes. Oh, yeah. The gods are not deserving of reproof because... um. Bifrost is a good bridge, but nothing in this world is of such a nature that it may be relied on when the sons of Mesful go a herring. And I think in a general sense, you get the idea that nothing in this world is permanent. When it comes to Ragnarok coming, there's there's not going to be anything that survives. And I mean, I know some of the gods survive, and sons of gods, and, and 
goddesses maybe survive but ultimately in the grandest scales of things everything is eventually going to be destroyed and that's just the way life is nothing is permanent and that ideal or idea rather is sort of captured in I'm this sorry, as well you're mistaken there is something that will last forever uh are you gonna say death and taxes well uh, no because even <laughs> death will stop and taxes uh, will be gone with people no okay. there's only one thing that will last forever and that okay. is now now is forever you can't destroy uh, now. Now exists. It's more of a concept than an actual pose, thing. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you can kill time. People do it all the time. <laughs> Get it killing time. Uh, that's, that's bad. Let's go on. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Anyway, I like the idea of impermanence. So that's kind of in there, too. Oh, I wasn't done, was I? Uh, oh, no, yeah, you I were. Okay, you you can go. You keep getting the really long ones, I'm sorry. Jerk. Oh my goodness, this one is super long. This one is oh, crazy my... long. Ho, ho, we... ho, ho. <laughs> we're probably going to break this one up. Alright, what number is this one? Can you read Roman numerals? Fourteen. And right. yes. <laughs> ben said... Ganglary, what did Allfather then do when Asgard was made? Har answered, in the beginning he established rules and bade them ordain fates with him and give counsel concerning the planning of the town. That was in the place which is called Ida Field, in the midst of the town. It was their first work to make that court in which there are twelve seats stand and others, the high seat which Allfather himself has. That house is the best made of any on earth, and the greatest without and within. It is all like one piece of gold. Men call it Gladsheim. They made also a second hall. That ha was a shrine which the goddesses had, and it was a very fair house. Men called it Vingolf. <laughs> Next they fashioned a house wherein they placed a forge, and made beside besides a hammer, tongs, and anvil, and by means of these, all other tools. After this, they smithed metal and stone and wood, and wrought so abundantly that metal which is called gold, that they had all their household wares and all dishes of gold, and that time is called the age of gold, before it was spoiled by the coming of the women, <laughs> even those who came out of Jotunheim. Next after this, the gods enthroned themselves in seats and held judgment, and called to mind whence the dwarves had quickened in the mold and underneath uh, in the earth, even as do maggots in flesh. The dwarves had first received shape and life in the flesh of Ymir, and were then maggots, but by decree of the gods had become conscious with the intelligence of men, and had human shape. And nevertheless, they dwell in the earth and in stone. Uh, okay. Mods Gnur was the first, and Durin the second, so saith in the Volsipa. And we'll stop for a moment. When you we want to go back to the uh, the spoiled because of women? Yeah, um, before <laughs> spoiled by the coming of the women. Uh huh. I, I don't think that means women. And it's capitalized. Country. It's it's not lowercase. It's not all women thing. It's not all women. Um, it's probably 
talking about those witches, which I think later, doesn't it? Or is that in the Volsipa? Uh, well, you know, this is kind of a retelling of the Volsipa, but I'm I'm trying to think about the Age of Gold and the changing and what happened. Other than this, I don't recall anything. Because there's like these giantess... I can't remember if it was a giant... I think is it like a giantess well, as witch? It says here, or maybe even, there was three of them. Uh, the coming of women, even them. those who came out of Jotunheim. Yeah, so eh. it, it's. I think it's talking about the particular three can't remember if it's three or if it's just one. I don't know. I'm forgetting. But there are like these giantess women who came and cursed them and made everything bad. That's what it's... I'm sure that's what it's um, talking about. But it's funny to think it's not. Yeah, I know. And one of them was the, that witch that's like burned three times or whatever. And the heart was eaten by Loki. Oh, yeah, we did find out that later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so this is, they talk about a lot of, like, ages in this, and yeah, this is the first age, the gold age, so it's, um, the nicest age, everything's, everything's good, they set up their nice place. They don't have, um, they, they don't have, um, brain stopped working. Okay. Uh, Odin's Hall. Where the Einherjar are. Valhalla. Oh, yeah. Valhalla. Yeah. How could you forget Valhalla? I know, right? I'm really tired. Um, they haven't introduced Valhalla and everything else like that because this is like the golden age where you're not thinking about war. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a good time and a peaceful time and a time of plenty and everything else. But, yes, to that line, before spoiled by the coming of women... The Even women. Those, it's it's specifically the women. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Before spoiled by the coming of the women, even those who came out of Jotunheim, is about the particular... I think it's three. Three witches who came from Jotunheim, and they do kind of ruin everything. But yes, the women in the general sense of the word. Uh, did you have anything else to say about well we got uh, dwarves that were you know were shaped from maggots great that's awesome yeah and that explains why they always spend their time digging in the earth because the earth was the flesh of um Ymir, so so yeah it makes sense that they were if they were maggots that they'd still spend all their time underground it's not oh. really a nice view of dwarves here yeah, so forget about all those sexy dwarves you had in your mind. <laughs> that a thing? I don't want to know. Please don't write in. Please do. Uh, no. I managed the email, no. Okay. Yeah, please please send an email with fanfics and stuff. Oh, God. Um, anyway, so yes, this is the like golden time. Everything's great. Uh, yeah, and and you see how things kind of deteriorate until you get to actual Ragnarok where the world is destroyed. And then when the world is reborn, it's sort of a golden age again. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's something in the Volspa that says like they pick up the golden plane pieces from the Ida field. So the, this idea that the whole thing is cyclical. And, and I think that's something that's true 
with a lot of things that when you have this new thing, it's really good and idyllic. But then you know, in in time, it gets old and it gets worn out and it gets bad, and it has to be re- destroyed and replaced by a new thing. That's just kind of the cycl- cyclical nature of the universe that nothing can stay around forever and it starts out good but at some point in time you have to destroy the old thing and have it be reborn into something new and if you would i i will go ahead and let you read uh (laughs) the next stuff okay then strode all the mighty to the seats to the seats of judgment the gods most holy and together held counsel who should of dwarves shape the people from the blood surge and the blue one's bones. They made many in man's likeness dwarves in the earth as Duran said. And these says the Sibyl are their names. <laughs> Ye and needy Nordri and Sudri, Austri Vestri, Alfjofer Dwalven, Narnani, Nipigan, Dan, Beefer, Boffer, Bomber, Nori. Do I have to read all of these? No, but I do want to point out, if you do uh, read through these names, you will hear some familiar ones, uh, because some of these dwarves' names were the ones used in Lord of the Rings, or at least, uh, um, uh, what's the one before it? The Hobbit. Yes. Um, So, Gondolfer. Very much sounds like Gandalf. And Thorin. Oakenshield, yeah. Okay, yeah. Feely and Killy were mm-hmm. in there. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot in there. I'm not actually going to read them. I don't think you shouldn't read them, but I'm not going to read them all right now. Oh, I did want to say, I think um, the idea that one of the first things they the gods did are make these seats of judgment, mm-hmm. and society at large is sort of... Something to mention. The importance of society and law and order being set up. You know, that's like the first thing you do in the Golden Age. So that must be something that's important to our ancestors. I I do also want to point out the uh, fourth through sixth names. Okay. Nordri, Sudri, Ostri, Vestri. You know what those are. Yes. Yeah, those are the four corners, or northeast, south, and west. Northeast, south, and west. So yeah, those are probably extra important dwarves that hold up the skull of Ymir, which makes the um, sky. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like there's one more thing that I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, when you're talking about, um, how, what do you say, all these... The idea of things starting out good and then getting worse and then eventually being reborn. That also very much happens with ideas and ideals. Uh, You see things like any system of belief, really, will start out really strong and you'll have people really committed to it. And in time it like kind of falls apart and becomes a sham. And I had a political example, but I don't want to make this show political, so I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> uh, but an, in a shorter example, again, listening to that lore podcast, they were talking about mental institutions of like the century and whenever they first came about. And they actually started out really good. They had these ideas that are 
asylums, I guess. They had the idea that there should be like open living space, you should let the sun in. And you know, they first opened these mental institutions and they brought in a reasonable amount of people that the facilities could have housed. They had them walk around. There was open floor plans. There was sun. And they were really doing good for people. And there were there were doctors there who were passionate about what they were doing because it's a new thing. They were passionate about what they were doing. And again, it's a new thing. So there is enough funding. And they were really making these people's lives better. But in time, it's not a new thing anymore. The funding starts to dry out, dry up. You have more and more people to house. They get overcrowded. And then, you know, before you know it, there's like 10 staff to 300 patients. And people aren't, you know, people, they just throw food under the, under the, sell and walk away. People are restrained in straitjackets. The lobotomy becomes commonplace. And if you want to see a place where you had a really good first idea and it started out really positively and had a golden age, the early days of mental health is that because it started really positive. But by the end of it, it it, it was a nightmare. I mean, everybody knows how terrible asylums were. Um, but they started as a really good, positive thing. So, yeah, um, just the idea, again, that things need to be reborn at some point in time. I Anywho, um, I'll finish. And these also are dwarves and dwell in the stone, but the first in mold, Drapner, Dolgvarta, and so on. I'm not going to read all of those, so that's just another list of Yeah, if you're reading this yourself, read them all. You should. <laughs> I just can't do that. I can't read that many names out loud. Um, oh, and it wait. just finishes up with more names, that's it. And Yeah, and these proceeding from Varenheim to Argervine on Jump Jura Plain and Vince is overcome. These are their names, and then they have the rest of their, the rest of their, the rest of them. Jeez, <laughs> talk today. And the rest. Oh, sorry. Here on Gilligan Isle. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you take fifteen. This one's stupid long too. Just letting you know. Then said Genkri, where is the chief abode or holy place of the gods? Har answered, that is at the ash of Yggdrasil. There are there the gods must give judgment every day. Then Genkri asked, what is to be said concerning that place? Then said Jofnahar, the ash is greatest of all trees and best. Its limbs spread out over all the world and stand above heaven. Three roots of the tree uphold it and stand exceedingly broad. One is among the Aesir, another among the Rhyme Giants. In that in that place where uh, aforetime was the yawning void, the third stands over Nifelhelm. And under that root is Hevergelmir and Nidhorger. Gnaws the root from below. But under that root, which turns towards the rhyme giants, is Mimir's well, wherein wisdom and understanding are stored. And he is called Mimir who keeps the well. 
He is full of ancient lore since he drinks the well from the uh, Yalarhorn. Therein came Allfather and craved one drink of the well, but he got it not until he had laid his eye in pledge. So saith Fulspa. Okay, we can stop there for a moment. Um, so this is talking about Yggdrasil, which is the world tree. Um, I don't think we need to go on too much about that. I think we've said it. Uh, Needhog is the dragon that gnaws at the root of the tree. Um, is there any, I mean, this is all good lore and good things to know. Is there anything in particular we want to say about that stanza that we just read? Because, I mean, there's a lot in it. Um, I mean, I believe we've covered it before, but for those who haven't heard us, maybe we just kind of go into it a little bit. Like, Rhyme Giants, they are from the Void, and that's where One Root dwells, but also there's the Mimir's Well there, where Mimir is, and it is a knowledge well where Odin tore out an eye without hesitation, because that's important, to get some wisdom. And that's that one. (laughs) I, um... I noticed that Jeff and Har start speaking here. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't... Not sure if there is or is not significance. Well, it's because that. Har already answered. When Har finishes his speech, it either goes on or it goes on to the next one. Okay. All right. So that's just sort of the poetic mm-hmm. device that they're using. Okay. Um, it's going to talk about Odin sacrificing his eye, which we'll want to say a little bit about, but I'll wait until after we read the actual stanza on that. Uh, do you want to read that, or do you want me to? I can go on. Okay. All know I, Odin, where the eye thou hittest, in the wide-renowned well of Mimir. Mimir drinks mead every morning from Valfather's wage. Wilt ye yet or what? All right, so the story, in case anybody doesn't know, is Odin wanted to take a drink from the Well of Mimar because it's it's a well of wisdom, and drinking from it makes you wise. And Mimar said the price to drink from the well was his eye, so Odin ripped out his eye and threw it in the well. Um, and that's really just getting at... Oh, um, I mean, that's an interesting story in itself. One of the... One of the most important parts of it is just how dedicated Odin is to knowledge. I think you also have an interesting thing with it's the eye. So Odin, and you know, this is the well of knowledge and very much a magical well. So Odin has one eye in the real world, if you will, but also one eye in the world of knowledge or the world of magic. So he's constantly seen into that other world if it's knowledge or if it's magic or realistically it's both but he's kind of seeing the physical and the magical world at the same time which is which is something that's very much is odin's character where he sort of has a dual existence he's an an inhabitant of this world but also of the magical world so i mean you could really spend a lot of time thinking about that uh but yeah, this is where it mentions that, so. Okay. The third root of the ash stands in heaven, and under that root is the well which is very holy. 
That is called the Well of Erd. There the gods hold their tribunal. Each day the Aesir ride thither upon or thither up over Bifrost, which is also called the Aesir Bridge. These are the names of the Aesir cities. Now I'm gonna brush over a bit of them, but there's okay. some examples here too. Like Slepnir is the best, which Odin has. He has eight feet. The second best, third best, blah 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 blah, until we get down to uh Baldur's horse, which was burnt with him, and Thor walks to the judgment and wades those rivers which are called thus, and then it's a list of rivers, I guess. But yeah. interestingly enough, you know, they all ride horses except Thor, who walks. And Thor also can't cross the Bifrost Bridge. He has to go under it because mm-hmm. his weight is enough that it'd break it. And that kind of gets to the more giant nature of Thor, I guess. Um, Thor is definitely one of the Aesir, but uh, he's very strong in the brute force way. And his mother was of giant origin, so he has a lot in common with the giants in that way, where he he doesn't do things like ride horses and go over the Bifrost Bridge. He has to, you know, ford the river himself, and and he he doesn't have a horse. So, yeah, that kind of gets at at the nature of Thor and the idea of his brute strength, and also that he has more of that giant nature, and also that um, that's just a way that he's different from the other gods. Um, and yeah, the well of Erd, the gods hold track. Okay. Uh, uh, sorry, I thought I wanted to say something else. I lost it, though. Okay. Um, did you want to continue, or should I? Kormurthur uh, and Ormt are the Kurlog's twain. Them shall Thor wade every day when he goes to doom at Ash Yggdrasil, for the Aesir Bridge burns all with flame, and the holy waters howl. Interesting. Then said Gengleri, does the fire burn over Bifrost? Har replied, that which thou seest to be red in the bow is burning fire. The hill giants might go up to heaven if passage on Bifrost were open to all those who could cross. There are many fair places in heaven, and over everything there a godlike watch is kept. A hall stands there, fair, under the ash by the well, and out of that hall comes three maids who are called thus. Erd, Verdandi, Skuld, these maids determine the period of men's lives. We call them Norns, but there are many Norns, those who come to each child that is born to anoint its life. These are the race of the gods. But the second are of the elf people, and the third are the kindred of the dwarves, as it is said here. Okay, so the Norns, the three Norns, um, Erdverdandians called, are like the Fates. So I'm sure that we have mentioned that before. Um, But then also it says... But there are many Norns, those who come to each child that is born. So, in addition to the three fates, who are like the... Main doesn't sound quite like I wanted to, but like the major fates are the three Norns. But then each person has 
Anorn as well, who sort of guides their life and and looks over their life. So there's a lot of ideas of fate going on here and mythical entities, you know, some sort of deity that is wrapped up in fate in the big sense of the world at word and also your individual fate. So I don't know how much we want to talk about fate. I think that's something that everybody needs to think about and come to their own determination on. But like, how in control of our lives are we? And how do we marry the idea of there being some sort of fate with the idea um, with the idea that geez, I have completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> How do we marry the idea of fate and free will, is what I'm trying to say. Right. Well, the other thing I find interesting, because I, I went ahead and kind of read forward is, and also it says it up here in this line, is that the Norns could be of any race, or at least the three races here, uh, which are uh, gods, elf, or dwarves. Yeah. I find that interesting. It is interesting. It's more of a role mm-hmm. than um, a race, I guess. Even though they consider themselves of that race at that point, I guess? Right. Well, it it sort of reminds you of um, who are the grandmotherly spirits, the Deesir, mm-hmm. who watch over us. You know, they would start as humans, but then at some point in time in the afterlife become Deesir, and then I feel like you'd consider them Deesir at that point in time, and they would sort of watch over watch over you. You know, usually their own family is the idea. But, yeah, I, I think that you can change your nature. And I think that comes up a lot in the lore. You know, you have a, a, the example of Scotty, who's a giantess, and you know, that's the enemy of the gods, but then she's sort of accepted into the fold of the gods later, and then sort of becomes one of the Aesir. So the idea of you're born a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to stay that way and never change. There's some amount of fluidity in what your role and even what your race will be in the future. All right. Um, we're getting near the end of the hour, so let me finish up the stanza so we'll know we'll be ready for next time, which will be uh, 16, so let's finish. 16, most, okay. Most sundered in birth, I say the Norns are. They claim no common kin. Some are Azerkin, some are Elfkind, some are Dal, or Dvalin's daughters. Then sang Gangleri, if the Norns determine the weirds of men, then they apport exceedingly, or exceeding unevenly seeing that some have a pleasant and luxurious life, but others have little worldly goods or fame. Some have long life, others short. Har said, good norns and of honorable race appoint good life, but those men that suffer evil fortunes are governed by evil norns. Um, We're coming up to the close of this, so hopefully I'll remember to maybe revisit this next time because there's a lot. I'd want to say in there, and it ties in a lot to your family luck and like what the people before you have done affects how your life is lived. And that seems unfair in a lot of ways, but there's 
there's a rational way you can think about it as well, where you see that, um... Well, I mean, yeah, but he also says here that, uh, you know, evil fortunes are governed by evil norns, so evil family spirit, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, because... Well, and if you want to think about it in a more down-to-earth, left, quote-unquote, mystical way, if your parents, let's say, are bad people, let's just say they commit crimes on a regular basis, and we won't go into details, um, they're bad people who have run in with the laws and everything else, your life will be harder than the normal person's, because you have that a, you have that stereotype to deal with. B, if your people, if your parents are criminals who are selfish, self-centered people, they probably don't care about you enough to pay for your college. They probably don't care about you enough to send you to a good school or to buy you books or to do all of these other things that good parents do. So the actions of your ancestors and most obviously of your grandparents and your parents, with the parents being the most important, very much affect the way you live. If you have jerk parents who don't take care of you or abuse you, you have to overcome that. You literally have to work harder to get the same thing that everybody else does. And that's not fair, but that is the way the world is. But it also works in reverse, where if you have bad family luck because your family has done bad things, you can make up for that and do good things, and hopefully your children will have more friendly norns to watch over to watch over them. Um, fate is very important, and there is a world that we are born into that we don't have control over on one hand, but on the other hand, we have a lot of free will and we have a lot of free will in the sense that we can choose what to do with the fate that we're born into. If you're born into this bad family, you can choose to follow the same path, or you can choose to overcome it and become something better. Will you become a billionaire who's the next president of the United States? I don't know. Maybe that's not in your fate. Maybe that's not possible. But it would be possible to provide a better life for your kids, or something like that. So fate, I think, is very much the boundaries that we can work within. But within those boundaries, we have a lot of free will. Um, you know, the idea of an athlete, maybe the fastest you can run a mile, just physically speaking, is two minutes. I don't run. I don't know if that's realistic. <laughs> the fastest you can run a mile, physically speaking, is is two minutes. It's unlikely you'll get there, but it's possible you'll get there, but you will never run a mile in 30 seconds because it's physically impossible. And I think that's the fate. The fate is you can run a two-minute mile. Will you achieve that? That's up to you. That's your own free will. But your fate would be you can do this good. You can run a two-minute mile. That's your fate. That's as good as you can do, but you have to choose to to achieve that or to not achieve that, and you have a lot of free will in there. Because some things are just literally impossible. And, you know, try ever try try as many new things as you can, and if you put your mind to it, you can do almost anything. But you're never going to be able to run a mile in negative 12 seconds. That one I know for sure. You can't do that. So there, there's, there's limits 
to everything. And I think that's kind of where the fates come in versus the free will, where there is a lot of room you can move back and forth. Anyway, we need to wrap up. So, Lore, um, I guess I'll ask for your final thoughts on anything we've talked about today. Uh, all right, so the elderly should be sent to Mars. Yes, we covered that. <laughs> we've made great progress in deciding where the elderly should go, and it's Mars. Other Problem solved. That, uh, I think there's some amusing things that could be misinterpreted in reading some of this. Yeah. But that's still a pretty big knowledge dump. So it, it, no wonder it's taken us so long to get through it. Not besides the fact that we uh, have tangents. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot to digest here. It's, I imagine, I don't know why, I think this is much shorter than the, uh, uh, the have them all. Mm-hmm. But still, I think this is probably going to take some time. But that's my thoughts. Yeah. No, I think it will. Um, I'm not trying too hard to stop all of our side tangents. Um, the reason being, we've done a lot of podcasts. We've gone over the have them all. If somebody was like, I just want the straight lore with, with no interpretation, well, then you should read it yourself. But if you wanted a more focused thing, you could go to the have them all series where it is more focused. Or the Volsipa. Um, or the Volsipa. Actually, the Volsipa would be the best. You could go to the Volsipa series where it's more focused. Um, but yeah, I really think that I'm using this very much as like a jumping off point because there is a lot in here. And though our tangents are tangents, they're related to what we started on. Um, at some point, and, and then they evolve point. into something else. Yeah, some, sometimes they do. Maybe I'll be better about that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here, and I just suggest everybody read it yourself. You know, read it from the beginning to the end, and think about it. When you get to the fate stuff, really think about the fate stuff, because I think that is something that's very interesting. What is the relationship between fate and free will? I don't think that most Ostertruers are fatalists, but they also appreciate that fate role plays a role in their life. So I think that's a really good one to think about. But anyway, yeah, I think definitely everybody read it yourself because there's a lot of information in here and a lot of lore that's good to know. So with that, um, Lord, do you want to mention your book one more time? Very well, sir. Um, if you guys are at all interested in kind of uh, storytelling that I do... I would go ahead and check out my latest book, which is Walk On, and that's published out there on Amazon, like I said earlier. Um, but I th- think it's probably more important to go ahead and look at Byron's book simply to see where he comes from in certain things, and maybe you'll get a little insight into him. Definitely, and you can find that on Amazon Lightbringer under Byron Rogers. Read both of them. I mean, both my book and Lore's book. That's what I do. Or if you want to read about aliens, you can do my Outsider series, starting with Death Ship. Ooh. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> Good. I read yours, too. All right. Yeah, yeah. No, we've read each other books, so we have at least two readers each. Yeah. I read my own. No, it's, it's, a, slight, it's a larger number than that. But uh, 
Okay, yes. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. Remember, if you want to send me email, you can. That's at Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to check out my website, you can do that as well at org. And while you're there, subscribe to the RSS. It's a monthly podcast. That's not that often. It's easy to forget to download it. Um, there's an RSS thing right there. Just put in your podcast player of choice and you will be good. And yeah, thank you everyone for listening. We will talk to you next month. Fra hell. Fra hell. <laughs>